Hello, is this thing on? Of course it is. They can definitely hear us. Yeah, we're in our fourth season. There's no silencing us now. Welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion on health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And I'm Sarah Fung, and we are your podcast hosts. Please make sure that you subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you can watch our podcast in video format. Please hit the subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. We're not gonna take it. No, we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna take it anymore. <laughs> what are we talking about today? It is Angry Day Rant over here at the Green Nurse Podcast. And we're gonna talk about privatization of healthcare. Like, I mean, it's been time that we've had this conversation. It's mm-hmm. very timely. Mm-hmm. We keep hearing about it. And now it's time to vent our frustrations <laughs> about this conversation and, and you know it's i think again let's start this way it's an important conversation to have i remember when i was invited out to the globe and mail with the canadian medical association to have this conversation people were like how dare you go join this privatized conversation and have this talk if we don't have this talk and we're not at the table then we're on the menu Right. And we pride ourselves on being the gritty nurses that talk about hot topics. And so we really want to lean into this topic today. And just even thinking about our healthcare system and our identities as Canadians. Like when you think of Canada, do you do you still think public health care or are you thinking like what is happening right now with our healthcare system? Yeah, I think what people are thinking about is what options are there, which is fine. But the thing is, we have to remember that we are founded are and rooted in having a publicly funded system. But right now, the public funded system is under more than just duress. It is literally crashing. But the thing is, it's not that, you know, it's anything that we've done or nurses or people in healthcare that have done because, you know, they keep on saying, here are some of the reasons why the system's not working the way it is. Well, the system's also not working the way it is because we do have some governmental influence that is actually causing the system to not work as efficiently as it has been. And again, we're not going to just blame it on one government. It's probably a multi-generational problem that we've been seeing in, in terms of healthcare privatization and just, you know, the various different things we've been seeing in Canada from a healthcare perspective. But we, we're going to try to touch on a couple things and just kind of get it off of our chest because mm-hmm. it the conversation, it's 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 overdue that we have this conversation. But maybe before we kind of get into some of our fighting words, let's talk a little bit about what privatized healthcare does look like in Canada. And I think there's a lot of people that don't know we do have private services here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if you just go back to nursing school and what we learned about the healthcare system, the healthcare system in Canada is supposed to be accessible. Right now, I don't feel like it, I don't feel like private or public healthcare is overly accessible right now, and that's the problem. So, like when we're talking about all these issues, it's about are the most vulnerable people being looked after or are they being left behind? And when we offer choices, I say choices in quotation marks, is that choice for those that can afford it and leaving those behind that can't afford it? That's what I want people to think about because 
a lot of these issues that we're having, um, I think a lot of them are being pushed by those that are the haves versus the have nots. And right. if you have, yeah. of course, you'll be okay with paying money for something that's going to help you jump the queue or give you better service or access to better specialists. But the truth is, the people that need it the most are the people that don't have any of those resources. And I always think about like, who are we as a society? Um, I think the litmus test for who we are is how we treat the most vulnerable. And no, yep. that's that's my stand on that. I completely agree. And I think what Sarah is touching on is the aspect of health equity. And I remember even being at the, this, this discussion where they're talking about, you know, what is equity or what is health equity? And man, was it defined incorrectly? A hundred percent. Like I was hearing people who own private companies talking about equity. And it was very interesting to be like, oh yeah, you know, all of our clients who pay, they have equal access. The ones That's who pay. That's not what we mean. That the is not what pay. we mean. The ones who can pay. <laughs> the ones that can afford to pay. And I remember hearing this individual, and don't worry, don't you all worry. We will get there. This individual saying, well, you know, I have patients that live in some of the poorest communities. And what would they rather? Would they rather spend, you know, $69.99 for their visit and not miss a whole day of work at minimum wage? Oh, hells yes, they would. I'm like, oh, hells no, they wouldn't. What they would prefer is to have access, timely access, and not necessarily having to pay because now you've put this person in a position where they have to worry about whether they can pay for their groceries, their rent, their light and electricity bills versus their health care. This is not something that we should be making people do. People shouldn't have to be like, oh, you know what? I f I'm sick, but oh, crap. You know, I got this extra 70 bucks kicking around. Nobody's got extra money kicking around, mm -hmm. okay? <laughs> like right now, every like there are people I know that have great paying jobs that are that, you know, should be doing well and people are struggling. People from all backgrounds and and you know, um experiences, job areas are struggling. So asking someone, particularly someone who is I would say again, this person said, you know, a vulnerable patient. No, they're not a vulnerable patient. The systems that we create creates those vulnerabilities, creates those inequities. And we should never be saying, you know what, take care of yourself or pay your your bills. Like that's that that is unconscionable to me. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. let's circle back to okay. the whole idea <laughs> of like what are some privatized services here in Canada that maybe yeah. people don't understand there. Right. And I think that all of the listeners here that are not from Canada maybe don't understand that universal healthcare in Canada doesn't mean universal. So there are things that really have never been covered, such as dental care. Oh my God, right? dental care. Wait. Um <laughs> like eye exams are only covered if you're under eighteen or I believe if you're a senior citizen. Yeah. Um, or if you have yeah. a certain medical condition that ex excludes you. So for example, my husband has a certain eye condition and he does not have to pay for eye exams. But that's again, the exception to the rule. Right. And then um, medications are only covered if you're an inpatient in a hospital. So let's say you go to a clinic or you go to a walk-in center or you see your family doctor and you need a prescription for something. That medication is usually not covered. So it's definitely not covering all medications. Don't even get me started on mental health because that's <laughs> that's pretty much non-existent. There are a lot of things that are not covered. Um, if you needed specialized medical devices, for example, a lot of that's not covered either. So I think there's a lot of gaps in the system and I see it just further eroding. Like I think I saw last summer, there was a lot of lab tests that 
very quietly got phased out. So patients that go for normal blood work, all of a sudden they're being asked to pay for this normal blood work that they never had to pay for before. And we just keep hearing about more and more that's not covered, but it's not necessarily making the news. And I think that's intentional. Yep. Um, But we really need to be aware of what's happening to our healthcare system and we need to stop what's happening because the truth is, do we want to be a country where people are starting GoFundMes uh, because they can't afford care, because they're going onto the black market for medications that are really just basic, like insulin. I hear about that happening mm-hmm. all the time. And I think it's just, again, like like you mentioned, we as like a society shouldn't have to have, you know, like an OHIP pocket binder book to be like, oh, you know, here's what should be covered. Because what some of the things that we were seeing, again, were services that should have been covered and certain private clinics were not covering them. I should say, privately private clinics that are publicly funded and again that's a whole other thing right like we'll, we'll kind of get into that too but it's just like you know we shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to be this like navigator of the healthcare system to be like okay will i actually make sure that this service that i'm supposed that is supposed to be covered by OHIP mm-hmm. is actually covered we've been hearing countless stories and seeing countless instances where people have actually paid for services that were covered by OHIP like this is insane mm-hmm. and the fact that you know we continue to ask people to advocate for their healthcare system I, I know we say this all the time you know you've got to advocate for yourself advocate for yourself but at what cost and at what point that do you know the governments need to step up and cause some forms of accountability within the system if we know that there are places that are charging for OHIP covered services and they're not getting penalized that is a problem that shouldn't be on the individual consumer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that should be on the government to be like "Mm -mm, honey you cannot be doing that and that is wrong and then they should be fighting the holy shit out of them so they never do it again these are issues that we need to be dealing with and i mean i can't i can't imagine someone who's like spent 400 500 dollars out of pocket to now be to get a phone call be like oh sorry that service was actually covered but we charged you for it like these are things that should not be happening and the problem really again is that we don't have accountability structures and that is hugely problematic in our system right now right i remember hearing about that as well and it took a lot of uh advocacy for this particular organization to admit that they had charged for services that should have been covered and think about all that extra paperwork to then go back to every single person who was wrongly charged and then refund them for the money like that is again just a waste of resources and i just keep thinking about how like there's a certain politician who said you should never have to use your credit card just your health card (laughs) (laughs) um i don't believe that's the case for these people they definitely had to use their credit card for these scenarios um i just feel like again we're not taking accountability and the people that are falling through the cracks we're not seeing them all because advocacy is something that you can do when you're in a place to do so a lot right. of a lot of people that we're talking about they're just trying to survive day to day they can't always take that time to advocate they can't you know talk to politicians they can't you know go on social media they can't do all these things and we need to Unfortunately, we have to do it for them and we shouldn't have to, but we do. And just to touch on another thing, Amy, I really don't like the term patient navigator or like navigating the healthcare system. I wish that didn't exist. I wish there was nothing that you had to navigate. I wish the healthcare system was user friendly. And if you were struggling, someone would actually come up to you and say, hey, what do you need? Let me help you rather than it being options. Right. Instead of having like a family member or a friend who like understands the system better to navigate it for you. Well, shit, we don't (laughs) even understand the system all that much. Like there's still things we're uncovering as people who have been, you know, not only, um, 
takers of the or users of the system, but people who actively work in the system. So I, I can only imagine how hard it is for people who aren't in healthcare to try to, you know, like I said, like navigate the system. They don't make it, like mm-hmm. you said, user friendly. Sorry to cut you off. Keep going. No, no. I That was all I wanted to say. And I think I'm using my quotation marks way too much today, but <laughs> that's just how I feel. No, like I, I think that again, like we shouldn't really having to be, th- this whole idea of people, like if you're sick, right? You're, you're already vulnerable. You're already feeling like, you know, you're just trying to kind of keep the wheels on the bus. Mm -hmm. You're like, Mm -hmm. I just need to know what my next steps from a healthcare perspective and like, how can I continue to maintain my health? Right. That's what people, most people are thinking when they're ill coming into the hospital. The fact that you have to think about like whether the service is covered or not, whether you're going to have to pay for it or not, or whether, you know, you're being duped by the system. Like this is not, it's not right. And it is completely unfair. And we know that, you know, Let's talk about, you know, communities that are rural. Let's talk about community, indigenous communities. Let's talk about, you know, racialized communities mm-hmm. that, again, we they don't have that access and they don't have all of the tools that, you know, uh, other communities that, that mi- they might have. And that, again, is a part of the conversation when we're talking about seeing health equity within healthcare and also not making people pay for services. So I'm just really, you know, annoyed that we have to continue to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. But again... Is it selective outrage? Are we just getting mad about nothing? Or is this something that we should be concerned about? And I would say, this is something we need to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this slow creep, or I would say neoliberal creep within the system of it starting to change. We're seeing people saying that, hey, you know what? Maybe we should have our privatized options. There was an article just recently, I I don't know if you saw it, where it was saying something like over 11,000 patients had died waiting for MRI and other Mm -hmm. services. Again, when I see these headlines, I always want to say, well, what was it before? Right. (laughs) So so don't don't just be like, okay, 11,000 people have died waiting. Like, is this actually an elevated number or is it like, you know, not to sensationalize Mm -hmm. it or, or to even minimize it, but just always putting these things in context. But again, bringing it back to the fact, should we be outraged and should we be concerned? And I say unequivocally, absolutely, yes, we should be concerned. Right. And I think there's just um, maybe fatigue from hearing about all the different problems in the healthcare system, right? right? So this has been three years nonstop of this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And truthfully, we're not seeing any tangible solutions. So there might be a little bit of fatigue, right? But I do think that this is something we should all be concerned about. And the fact that there are not enough primary care practitioners, the fact that there's still hallway medicine happening, the fact that people have died waiting for tests. Like, I don't think this is a headline that's meant to shock people. I think it's just to educate people on what is actually happening. The fact that I read an article recently that there are rural um, community hospitals, one of them was closed 38 times in the last year. And I was like, there's only 52 weeks in the year, right? So more often closed than not. If that's not concerning, I don't know what is. And the fact that, you know, your local hospital is closed, but the one closer to you might also be closed. There's just no coordination right now. And I couldn't imagine needing emergency care or like being in labor and not being able to access care when I need it. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, this is where, again, we have to look at our governments and be like, what, what are you guys doing? Because I saw a post, I think it was like last week by Doug Ford. He's like, oh my gosh, look what's happening in Markham. We have a state of the emergency, a state of the art emergency department. It's going to be open 24 seven. Holy shit. All of our emergency departments are actually open 24 seven. It makes me wonder like, what are people like, what are you saying to people? People know that 
this is how the system runs and should be running. But we have whole communities mm -hmm. that don't have access or don't have even urgent care centers. And this is quite concerning because the other pieces we're seeing private equity companies saying, hey, I let us come to the rescue. Let us come to the rescue. $75 million to help with this. But you know, this is where, again, it's concerning because a private equity company, what, what do they want? If you're going to invest your money into something, and maybe I'm going to go mm. to you about this. All you right. probably know better right. about investments than I do. <laughs> I don't if know you about are that. throwing, if you are investing in something, what is the expectation? Well, the Basically. expectation is, number one, you need to make a profit. 100%. Number two, you need to give money back to your shareholders because ultimately that is what for-profit care is or for-profit organizations. You're accountable to your shareholders. Right. right? So if you have a company, let's, let's say you have a company called Get Maple and you're like, oh, you know, we need virtual care. We're going to make sure that everybody has access. But you get $75 million from a company called Loblaws, let's say, and uh, they're investing $75 million, I feel like that business will not serve the purposes which it's intended to be set up for. If the purpose is, you know, we need to increase access, we want people to be receiving timely, adequate care, one, virtual care is not the standard of care. It's great that we have these options. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I do agree that virtual care helps with bringing these, you know, bringing and making things more accessible. But then we also talk about whether people have technology and the access to having that, those things available. Right, right. But the other piece is you are beholden to a company that has been making record profits off of the food industry. And we know we've been seeing issues with, you know, food insecurity, income insecurity. These these organizations do not pay great living wages. Um, who, who are you liable to? Is it the people that you're serving or is the company that just invested $75 million into you? Right. And I just want to talk about virtual care for a second, because I think the fact is it's great for people who can access virtual care. So if you think about communities that are impoverished, right? If they are like just trying to survive month to month, are they going to have enough money for internet? Are they going to be able to have enough money for a laptop? Can they replace these things when they break? Um, and if there's like a language barrier or anything else, is this really what we want to do? But on the flip side, I did read an article recently that the government has um, slashed uh virtual care rates for physicians. So for example, a virtual care visit in our area used to pay a physician or primary care provider $38, and then the government cut that back to $20. So where's the incentive to provide virtual care anymore for those who actually can access it? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that piece. And again, I think this is a, another greater conversation that we have to have in terms of creating access so let me just kind of swing back to our uh, our hypothetical situation which is not hypothetical it is actually a company that exists but again it's it, my, my concern is you know we have this publicly funded healthcare system mm -hmm. and then we use our public funded dollar dollars so our tax paying dollars where people are like oh yeah in canada your healthcare is free no it's not free we pay for out of our taxes mm -hmm. and it gets pooled in uh, uh, into a pool. But the thing is, when we have a for-profit company that's using publicly accessed funds, again, that's where I, again, I, I find it again, a little bit of a slippery slope mm. because again, these private cop uh, for-profit companies need to still turn a profit. It still is a business. And I feel whenever you start turning healthcare into a business, we start losing sight of who we should be actually, you know, servicing. 
we should be servicing people. And I think that, again, that's, again, concerning because we are wasting dollars. And we see this specifically in, you know, situations where they're using for the most recent example is within nursing. So, for example, a private company hires nurses and they say, oh, you know, um, we'll pay you one hundred and fifty dollars for your shift as opposed to forty five, forty eight dollars, whatever the, the, the premium is under your union. And where do you think you might end up landing working? You might want to go for the poor profit, but now we're wasting dollars because those dollars should be really put back into the public health care system and they're not. So again, we're seeing these issues where we're seeing that kind of, we're, you know, these boundaries being kind of crossed where we're using publicly funded dollars for private entities. Again, I think we need to start thinking about the practitioners. So you talked about having greater access. There are millions of Canadians who are without a primary care practitioner. And again, I, I was very specific to say practitioner. I think there's a fear, and you can tell me what you think, mm-hmm. of nurse practitioners being a part of this role. I saw a lovely article today on LinkedIn. I, I posted, I'll share it with you, Sarah, later. All right, all right. About nurse practitioners being a potential solution. But I think the article, and I think other people who are going to start focusing on, on the, these articles should really start focusing and honing in on what the actual issue is. It's not that there's a reluctance on nurse practitioners parts to be a part Mm -hmm. of the healthcare system or to provide, you know, greater access to folks who might not have access to physicians within the healthcare system. I think the question should be, what is stopping nurse practitioners from being primary care providers in our current current environment? Mm -hmm. But I'll just, I'll just stop there. So I will say that I don't believe the pushback is coming from patients. So patients, at the end of the day, they just want someone who can look after them. doesn't matter if they are a physician or nurse practitioner. They want a primary care provider to provide care to them. So through process of elimination, if it's not the nurses and it's not the patients, um, where is the pushback coming from? I, um, I want you to think about that um, for a second. <laughs> well, I know one of the things that kind of came out in this conversation we had with the CMA at Globe and Mail, there was a nurse practitioner there and I can't remember her name, but I'll drop her details in. And she said it explicitly. She's like, nurse practitioners can't build through OHIP. Well, that's a, a barrier. So we need to look at all of these barriers that are put in place that are preventing nurse practitioners from practicing as primary care practitioners. Because again, if the, solu- if the issue is there are so many folks that can't access care, that don't have a family doctor, that don't have a primary care point of contact, then we need to ask what is stopping these other folks from being a part of the care system. And again, I always say that nurse practitioners are complementary. There is no thought or mindset from my understanding that they're going to be taking over or replacing the the role of a physician. That is not the intention. But the intention is to continue to evolve the healthcare system to make sure that people are seen. And that is the primary reason we need to see more nurse practitioners. So that is, I think I'd say one of our alternatives to seeing better healthcare services. Right. And full disclosure, I've had a nurse practitioner before and I loved her. Like the thing is they work on a completely different model. So it's not fee for service. They actually are paid a salary. So, you know, they allot like 15 minutes to talking to you or more. When was the last time you got more than five minutes with a family doctor? Like, let's be (laughs) honest. I I think that it's a completely different way of providing care. Again, it doesn't have to be one versus the other. There's more than enough room for all of us because are there any primary care practitioners right now that are having trouble getting enough patients? I think it's the opposite problem everywhere. So let's just work together and come up with a solution, which I know sounds, it's way easier said than done. I get that. But I do think it's worth looking into like, like, 
we said there's the pushback is not coming from patients. It's not coming from nurse practitioners. We more than have the scope of practice to provide the care that's needed. So we really just need to be creative with these solutions. And just like being someone that's been in the healthcare system, your primary care practitioner is the key to everything. Like right. if you need a referral, yeah. you have to go to your family doctor or nurse practitioner. You need this. You have to go first to your primary care practitioner. And if you don't have one, then you're kind of floating out in the sea trying to grab onto something and that's something might be emergency and that's not really where you need to be if it's something simple right and I think that you even mentioned um there was a physician at that talk who said you know I love nurse practitioners because they yep. free up my time to allow me to do the things that I need to do yep it, it allows them to do the specialty aspects of care that nurse practitioners cannot right mm -hmm. and if, like you said it frees them up to go do other things and I think that's we need to start thinking about this and doing this differently so like there are alternatives and i don't know if privatization is one of them i'm not saying that no at all costs but i am also saying that we need to have an equity focused lens we need to make sure that there are people that have been left behind we 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 know that there are folks that have worse healthcare outcomes and how do we make sure that they're not going to be at the bottom of the waiting list at the bottom of the barrel not being able to access or making it even more challenging for them to access healthcare services and that's always my concern and again i think that you know we we do need to do things differently the system is not working i remember at the beginning of the pandemic we were like shouting at the top of our lungs to be like there are so many inefficiencies within the system but nobody is fucking listening to us we're just like okay so um we've just mentioned to you about how many ors are just not operating from 3 to 11 or there's like nothing happening during the day or whatever or, or you know after these certain hours why don't we look at you know the fact that there's ample time during this time portion in this space and nobody's listening nurses have been have been sounding the alarm about system issues for from the inception of time mm -hmm. and it's just about it like people need to listen to nurses because we're like okay we are here 24 7 seeing the inefficiencies somebody just listen to us and i think that's the other piece like we need to start hearing and i shouldn't say just nurses mm -hmm. but there are other folks within you know healthcare walls that have been sounding the alarm to say here are ways and efficiencies that we can see we need to start looking and funding the public system more efficiently and start looking at the uh, the challenges that we have and start fixing them before we go straight to oh well the system's not working as intended privatization's the answer right no right let's fix some of those bumps and humps in the road when we've you know pdsa'd and quality improvement said okay these things aren't working then we can look at other models of care but until we start really looking at the challenges that we've already presented within the system then it doesn't make sense for us to be talking about privatization the way that we've been Mm -hmm. currently and i think that there's a separation between people that are up high and people that are at the front line right because always the truth is <laughs> the truth is at every level there should be someone at the front line who's providing perspective but not only that they need to actually know that they're contributions are being listened to so it can't just be uh tokenization or this the fact that they have a seat at the table but they have no real voice right and these important decisions have already been made but they're at the table for the sake of being at the table like i remember being part of certain organizational like redevelopment plans right and it's like the blueprints have already been stamped but now you're <laughs> asking us where we think things should go but you're telling us but that's already been done so what exactly are we here for right now right other than the fact that to say that 
that, oh, we had a nurse at the meeting when really everything's been decided. It's literally set in stone and there's no room for improvement now. A hundred percent. And I think this is, again, where governments need to play a better job at, at seeking out those consultations, right? I, re I actually remember having a conversation with someone who worked in the ministry and she's like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. She literally was like, honestly, she's like, I worked for the ministry for five years, ministry in health, ministry of health. And she's just like, we don't, we're administrators. We have no idea what we're doing. She's like, yes, we'll try to reach out to consultants, but she's like, the amount of inefficiencies within that whole system, she's like, it's radical. She's like, we make these decisions and we, she's like, we pray that they work. Oh my and God. And I'm like, right? This is the best that we have. This is, We're praying that it's going to work. Well, this is what we see, you know, when we see that we hire journalists to work as Ministry of Health people. Like, this is kind of crazy. Like, let's put people in there that really have an idea of how the system works. Let's have consultants at the table, paid consultants at the table to say, you know what, that's not that doesn't make any sense. Let's bring in people who are in those environments all the time who can help with the decision making. I don't understand how we have a system uh, in our government where we do, we can have people in healthcare roles or equity roles that don't have experience in healthcare or in you know what we're doing we're literally just playing musical chairs it's like here's your group okay we're just going to put you here and you here and you here and even though you don't have the experience this is your new role okay so make it work yeah but it's scary because then like you know this person's now in the ministry of health and they've never known anything about healthcare, but now they're making decisions for all ontarians all canadians people across the board about health without having that fundamental understanding and then again accountability there is the 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 real issue here is we have zero zero accountability structures in place to one make sure that the system is efficient two to provide to ensure that you know people are receiving the care that they deserve and three that the money is not being wasted mm -hmm. we have an accountability issue like we should have someone be like oh yeah this minister of health care is not doing what they're supposed to be doing they haven't met their goals they haven't met these quotas uh, out they go, right? But we don't. We have no accountability structures. We don't have anybody looking at the books going, oh, yeah, we're wasting money here when this system works better. Right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are things out there that we know that are working really well. Why aren't we adopting them? Why aren't we having these these conversations? Everything in healthcare is so siloed. Mm -hmm. Then, then of course, we're going to be wasting lots of money because we're not doing the things that we should be doing. So, again, we need to be looking at a system of accountability. Maybe we should have like an accountability minister of health <laughs> that is saying, you know, this is not working and we, we got to start axing people. And again, it's just, we need to be concerned about the people that we elect. If mm -hmm. they don't yeah. understand the system, they're not willing to understand or they make promises like, oh, I'm going to end hallway medicine. And now we have bathroom medicine. We have non-traditional space medicine. These are quality and safety issues. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, like how we were in labor and delivery and maternal child. And what are the first things that we do? We go into a room before we even bring a patient in. We got to make sure all the safety equipment's there. So you're going to check your oxygen. Mm -hmm. You're going to check your, you know, is your suction working? You're going to check. There are people that are sitting in rooms where they might have an emergency where none of these things exist because they're in spaces that they should not be in. And it is very, very concerning. Like it, I can't imagine going into work and knowing that the patient I'm going to be looking after today is nowhere near the safety equipments or standards that they should be at. Mm -hmm. These are situations that we're putting healthcare workers into. This is when we talk about 
moral distress. Mm -hmm. And again, it's because we don't have accountability and we don't have oversight. Right. And when people talk about the nursing shortage, nurses exist. They have just left because they can't handle it anymore. Nurses are there. If we want nurses to come back, we need to create environments that they feel safe in again, that they feel like they can practice in, that they're not going to uh, be assaulted, that they are going to be able to provide the safe care that they really need to that their their mental and physical health is going to be protected like this is not happening right now so the nursing shortage was created by all these like this perfect storm and it was exacerbated by the pandemic and i'm really worried i mean we have entire emergency departments that are just closed now or they've permanently reduced their hours so when you said you know that emerge the definition of emergency is 24 7 that is slowly going away too and people don't often know about that some yeah. some um units are now like eight to eight but what happens the other 12 hours are you just not allowed to get sick or hurt yeah, I mean, I think it's just, again, this is where we have to talk about retention like that, like we talk about the shortage, but it's also uh, it's also the fact that, you know, nurses haven't been heard, respected, uh, our opinions not valued. And again, it's not even just, yeah, there might be a shortage of bodies, but the issue is that also you're not keeping it. There, what is what is there within the system that wants to keep nurses in the system, right? What is what are what are our organizations doing or our governments doing to ensure that nurses feel heard and respected? So it's not just a shortage issue, but it's an issue related to respect and feeling heard and feeling that we can be a part of the solution and a part of the change. You don't create those environments where we feel that we can be heard or respected, then people are going to walk away. And that's what we're seeing. So again, it's maybe, maybe it's a shortage of respect that we're seeing overall. And I think that, you know, that is concerning. And I hope that September, oh, we're in September, but sometime soon that the nursing retention uh, kit will be uh, rolled out from the federal government. And again, it's something that we can look forward to again, but we need to have an accountability structure put in place mm -hmm. to make sure that this retention toolkit will be successful as well. And again, I, I think about other areas of the world, whether it's the US or, you know, UK, whoever, wherever our listeners are from. And It'd be, I would love to have other people reach out to us and say, like, how are things working over with you? Yeah, there, yeah, for are sure. Are there solutions that you might have for us? Because again, you know, um, we're working in these silos and I think that we just need to do these things better and work together. And I think that if someone says, hey, I got this that works well, we should adopt it. You know, I think we need to be much more creative than we've been. But I think that again, mm -hmm. uh, it's a conversation worth having. We can't walk away and say we're not going to have these conversations, but we need to be aware. I think there's one thing that we have missed. Whose voice is the most important voice in all of this? Well, it's the patient, right? really. <laughs> so we don't hear enough from patients, and that's a shame because really the end user of healthcare really should be the ones you know driving this conversation. And at the end of the day, we are all going to be patients at some point in our lives, yeah. right? So I always think about you know at the beginning of life and at the end, a nurse is always going to be part of that. And so this is all going to affect us in the end, whether or not we use the healthcare system or not. And um, just in terms of a lot of the things that we mentioned, we are going to be dropping all those links in the show notes. So please take a second and read through and educate yourself. If you want to reach out to us and let you, let us know your thoughts, or if you have other topics that you want to hear about, please let us know. Um, our website is gritty nurses, sorry, gritty nurse.com. <laughs> and our email address is gritty nurses at gmail.com. And yeah, we, we, we haven't had a rant episode in a while and you know, I think we're going to we, we got to have a little bit more of these conversations. And, you know, I call them rants. But again, at the end of the day, it's 
these are the thoughts that a lot of people are having, right? They might not have the form or the space to have these conversations, but we need to have them. And I think the other piece is next Monday, if you're available in Ontario, there is going to be a rally at Queens Park on the 25th. We are going to be there. So I really hope that you can come out and support, you know, making sure that we are having an efficient public health care system and that also we're saying no to privatization. We're saying no to having loopholes within the system mm-hmm. that's creating these private entities as well. So again, I think if you can come out on the 25th to Queen, Queen's Park to support uh, healthcare, healthcare workers that want to see a better publicly funded system, that would be great too. And again, I'm going to drop in that we have a book coming soon. Oh my that God, how did we not we mention that? we need to be excited about. <laughs> yes, so the book is called The Wisdom of Nurses. Um, it's going to be released by HarperCollins. The date right now is April 2nd, 2024. So mark your calendars. Um, Amy and I will be telling you a little bit more about this as uh, the date comes closer. But definitely keep that in mind. Um, if you want to learn more about nursing or if you have a family member or a friend or a loved one that's a nurse, please consider uh, getting this book for them. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I mean, as soon as we know when you can pre- uh, get it for pre-sale, we'll let you know. But again, it will be available believe on audible and all sorts of different platforms so stay tuned we will keep you abreast and again it's not just a nursing book it's a book for anybody Mm -hmm. that they can read and they can understand a little bit and get that little greedy nurse glimpse and insight into uh, healthcare. so stay tuned and we'll see you and hear from you in the next couple weeks take care everyone